presence of your Holy Spirit, that all of us will be able to give you our best ear and our full attention, that you would anoint our minds with clarity and understanding our eyes and ears to be able to perceive that we're not just seeing things in the natural, but we're being able to see what the Lord is really showing us. We go beyond just the, the physical realm and begin to see by revelation. Lord, give us eyes and ears to really be able to see what you're showing us. And Lord, help our hearts to be good fertile soil. Let there be, Lord, by the power of your word, a washing of the water of the word and, and breakthroughs. But also we pray that the light of your truth will go out and dispel all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception of the enemy and bring life and truth and revelation in every life. We thank you, Lord. We commit this time of the word to you. Let everything be accomplished that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that gets loud, if y'all could take care of maybe the door for me, I'd appreciate it. Okay, so here we go. There was a man that lived in around 100 A.D. to 165. It's a long time ago. And his name was Justin Martyr. And I want you all to hear this because this is really significant. This was, um, you know, the Apostle John died somewhere in the 90s, 90 A.D., somewhere around there. That's when we believe that the book of Revelation was written. And so he was the last living apostle. So he died approximately... Um, 10 years or so before Justin Martyr was born. So this was kind of the next uh, generation of churches to come up after um, the last apostle's death. And so this was still really early on. Now, I can't get too much into uh, what I would like to down the road in some of these areas, but let me just say a little bit about this. Listen to him describe the church of that time. He said that it was just a simple meeting of believers on the Lord's day. So they kept the Sabbath, okay, they would meet on that time, <clears throat> to hear the scriptures read and explained. So you have preaching and teaching of the word, singing of hymns, so you have praise and worship, <coughs> offering of prayer, so you have like, um, like we did tonight with intercession, but also, I'm sure, that, you know, praying for one another, laying on of hands, that type of ministry. The Lord's Supper. It's interesting that he referenced that weekly they would keep the Lord's Supper. See, many churches have gotten away from that. I believe it's very important. If people really understood the significance of it, how it came out of the Passover Seder, what it really means, and the power behind it, I believe a lot more people would be wanting to take communion very frequently. Amen? And receiving of gifts. So this is tithes and offerings. So this is very similar to what we're doing today, isn't it? And I believe that everything would have been very spirit-led as well. So here's a couple things I wanted to cover tonight. One is about our Hebrew roots. Romans eleven seventeen says this, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. So here Israel's being presented as an olive tree, but he's saying that some of the branches of those that did not believe in Christ were cut off and cast away, but that there were Gentiles now that were going to be like wild olive branches that were going to be engrafted into that tree. And so you have both Jew and Gentile branches now that were coming into this tree. 
but both of them would be connected to this root system that goes back to Abraham. And that would be the source of their nourishment spiritually. And so let me just talk just briefly about the Hebrew roots. Because for many years now, I believe since the 90s, there's been a strong move to try to restore back our Hebrew roots. And when this first came to me was through the Brownsville Revival because I had never heard of this before. And there was a man by the name of Dick Rubin, who's a Jew, that went to Brownsville, Brownsville before the revival. And I actually have an audio of him preaching there a Hanukkah message, and they lit the Hanukkah menorah. And this was before the revival even broke out. And he was teaching about the significance of Hanukkah. And he taught about the tabernacle, the priesthood, the, the priestly garments, the five major um, or the five or the furniture, I'm sorry, the five major offerings, the seven feast days, all of that that had to do with the tabernacle ministry. He taught on all of it. And actually, three months before the revival broke out in Father's Day of 95, they actually had a Passover Seder at the church, and I actually have it on video. And he came in there and walked them through a whole Seder meal just like we did here. And so uh, John Kilpatrick really loved it. And the people there seemed to love the Hebrew roots. They were totally comfortable with that. And Dick Rubin brought in a lot of that, what would be considered Jewish there. And I even have him as well, you know, singing the, the priestly blessing over them in Hebrew and all of that. It was just, it was very well received at Brownsville. And so that's where it began with me. And then I started catching uh, different people that understood this. And back in the 90s, Perry Stone, John Hagee, um, there's people... Uh, you know, like Larry Huck and, and many others that have been teaching on this now for a couple of decades, trying to help the body of Christ understand more about their Hebrew roots. And so this really, God began to do a deep work in me back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But over the last two, two, three years or so, the Lord really started taking me deeper and helped me understand the significant, the significance of the feast days um, today and it's something I'd never really understood completely fully I understood them from a prophetic sense but I want to share with this what God has shown me as well if that's a little cold if you can put that up a couple degrees I'd appreciate it all right so number one the Bible comes alive how many of you guys know that you have to have a Hebrew mindset to really truly understand the Bible you cannot really understand it from a Greek mindset and just to put it as bluntly as I can, our American culture goes back to Europe, which goes back to Rome, which goes back to Greece. And so that Grecian mentality does not work well with the Hebrew mentality. And so that's why a lot of people have a lot of problems understanding the Word of God, because they, they don't go back to the Hebrew roots to understand. And... So that's the first thing God showed me was how the Bible literally comes alive. And how many of you guys saw that when we did the Passover Seder meal here? I mean, it was just unbelievable. You're just, just realizing so much about that culture and that time and what Jesus was really doing at the Last Supper and the significance of it. And it was so powerful. <clears throat> the next thing that God showed me was this, was that you're joining with the prayers of many others. And this is very significant. And recently, if you've never heard this, I encourage you maybe to jot this down and look it up. 
But Dutch Sheets preached a sermon called The Synergy of the Ages. And you can listen to it on YouTube. It's, you know, it's easy to find. But he's been going around preaching this. It's called The Synergy of the Ages. And um, that's where he also brought that appeal to heaven flag out and began to teach about that. But <clears throat> the mindset was this. He, it was all based, it started with a dream that God gave him and others as well where there was moves of God from times past and it was like now we are coming into agreement with their prayers. Because how many of you guys know when people, when someone dies, that does not mean that their prayers die. Okay, their prayers live on. And so there is something to it. Um, Lou Engle wrote a book many years ago called Redigging the Wells of Revival. But it's talking about tapping into something from times past and kind of connecting with that move of God, connecting with those prayers. And so you have to understand this. When we do something like tonight with Hanukkah, what you have to understand is this, that you're joining with people these, I know Hanukkah is not as old. It goes back a couple thousand years. But you're going back in time, so to speak. And there's people that have lived in past times that would keep these things. And it's like you're kind of joining with what was going on, if that makes sense. It's like connecting to something that's very ancient and powerful. I, I don't know how else to, to explain it, but there's something to this. I could maybe give this example. There's people that have said that they went to where the Azusa Street Revival happened and they would rent somewhere nearby and they would have a prayer meeting there and they were, they were praying about, Lord, connect us to that move. And they would say there was this really powerful, special presence of God that came, you know, because they were kind of redigging that well of revival. Does that make sense tonight? I'm, I'm hoping I'm conveying it well, but... You're joining with others. Some of these things that these feasts go back 3,500 years. Think of the millions of people, of God's people, back in Old Testament times that were keeping these feasts. And, and in the spirit realm, there's really no distance in time and all that. You're, it's like we're in agreement with that. All right. The next thing that God taught me was this, and this is very significant is that these things are bringing blessings on you that were not there before. Now, this is huge. Let's say, for example, on the flip side of this, like a very negative, just to make a point, let's say that somebody came to River of Life, and then they went out of here, and they said, you know, I'm going to go to this fortune teller down the road and get my palm read or something stupid like that. Well, by doing that, they, when they sit down and they begin to participate in that, they're allowing a curse to come on themselves that did not exist before. They're bringing it on themselves by what they're doing. So please hear me when I say this. This is important. That when you participate in these things, that God is bringing a blessing on you that did not exist before. It brings blessings on you. It's also a way that we stand with Israel as well by you know, keeping these feasts with them. But, but more than that, it has a spiritual empowerment. I know, for example, that my wife's family obviously was you know, sitting at the table of demon gods, so to speak. You know? 
And I remember, you know, as we celebrated Passover, she really felt something happening because she, she's most likely the first person ever in her whole family that sat at the Lord's table at a Passover meal like that and remembered Jesus Christ. And here we are taking Holy Communion together. It was a hallowed moment. And she felt something happening in her life. What, what was happening was there was a blessing coming. So when you participate in these things, just like, for example, tonight with Hanukkah, as you as you go and you you know you light a candle and we're participating in this, there's something that's that's coming upon your life. There's a blessing that's coming upon you that did not exist before. Now some these feasts from the Lord are spiritually powerful in a good sense, but then there's also holy days or I wouldn't even call them holy days, just celebrations that are neutral. Like okay, here we are. We celebrate something spiritual from God and it brings a blessing. It's powerful. But then we have things like the 4th of July or something that's just neutral. But then there's also satanic holidays, satanic feast, if you will, that will bring a defilement and a pollution in your life by participating in those. And if people really understood what was going on at Halloween, I believe that a lot of Christians wouldn't participate if they really did understand. But I know that they're ignorant and they don't know. All right. Here's another thing. The Lord showed me that the heavens are open in a very special way. I don't think that I have to convince you of that because we've had services here on these feast days and everybody in here has noticed that it's been extremely powerful. It's like everything amps up to a new level, doesn't it? Well, there was a lady. Now, Satan, he counterfeits everything that God does, okay? So there was a lady that got saved Right before she heard my wife's testimony, we talk a little bit about her sometimes, and she got saved out of a hardcore Satanism. Her whole family was in it. She grew up in her whole life. And she basically got saved because she did not know that she could be saved because she was told her whole life, if you're a pure blood Satanist and you grew up in it, that God would never save you no matter what you do anyway. And so that's what she was told. So whenever my wife gave her testimony, she was like, wow, I mean, I could, this could actually you know, I could be saved. And so she went out and talked to my wife and gave her life to the Lord. Well, <clears throat> we were talking, and this is how Satan counterfeits everything. She was telling me at these, at these satanic holidays, there's more than one, but she was mentioning Halloween because it's the most familiar to us. But she was saying at those times how she said it's like the veil between hell and earth it's like the veil gets very thin. She said it's like there's a nearness of the demonic realm. And she said that all of their uh, satanic powers amp up and the things that they're doing have a lot more power. She said there's a lot more demonic activity. And so, that, of course, they get together and they, they do what they do on these satanic holidays. But see, that's Satan's counterfeit. And it, it, once I started studying these feast days and I started seeing how the Lord opens the heavens in a very special way, that there's more angelic activity. His presence comes down in a powerful way. I started thinking back to that conversation I had with her, how Satan kind of counterfeits that in a negative sense, doesn't he? But there is something about these times where it's like the veil between us and heaven is closer. It's like there's, there's an intimacy with God and a presence and a power coming down in a very special way. All right, and the last one is that angelic activity. There seems to be more holy angelic activity. During these feast times, I've had people tell me that they've seen angels and different things like that, and there's, there are 
you know, more angelic activity going on than usual. So that's why I've wanted to connect River of Life to these feasts, because I understand that it's bringing a blessing on you. How many of you guys want to do things that's going to bring blessings on you and form generational blessings down your family bloodline? It just makes sense, you know. But not only that, there's a special move of God, and we're connecting with that root system that is our inheritance in Christ. All right, so Jesus' response at Hanukkah. Here it is. John 10, at that time, the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. <coughs> so Jesus was there in Jerusalem, walking around, looking at all the lit menorahs and everybody celebrating Hanukkah during his day and time. Now, most people believe that really study the word very deeply that Jesus was probably conceived at Hanukkah time and that he was probably born at the Feast of Tabernacles time. That would be really interesting. Of course, we don't know that for sure, but that's what a lot of scholars believe. And of course, we know that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. So what is the lessons for us today with Hanukkah? It is this. Number one, that during that time, there was an evil king um, that was, he was a Greek military, well, a Greek ruler, a king, but his military resided, the ones that were coming against Israel <clears throat> were out of Syria. And isn't it interesting how much stuff has been going on with Syria lately? Did you guys know that there's a prophecy in the Bible that Damascus would be totally destroyed? And that not only would it be completely destroyed, but it had never actually happened. That's one of the oldest, was one of the oldest surviving cities in our time today. And up to this time in history, it had never been destroyed. And this was an ancient prophecy going back you know, thousands of years ago. And it very well may be because people have reported now that Damascus looks like a heap of rubble with all the bombings and all the warfare that's been going on. It, it may possibly be that that prophecy is being fulfilled right now, that God is overseeing the destruction of Damascus. Because when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But anyway, from that part of the world, Syria, there was a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he wanted everybody to become Greek. And the word was used Hellenized. That's what they use in Bible school where you make everybody Greek culture. So in other words, they did not want the Jewish people going around wearing a tallit, these prayer shawls. Back then, the prayer shawls were probably not exactly like what we have today. It was probably more like a tunic with the tassels on it. They didn't want them going around wearing those, those phylacteries, you know, the Teflon. They didn't want them going around um, going to synagogue, keeping Sabbath, eating kosher. Anything that had to do with Judaism, they, he did not want that. He wanted them to start dressing like the Greeks, to learn Greek language, and to give all that up and begin to worship Greek gods. And so what happened was a lot of the Jewish people, because they were so persecuted, um, some of them were killed. In fact, it's believed that in Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about all those men and women of faith, you know, down through there, 
that some of them were tortured and sawn in two and all of that, that some of that was going on during this time. And so it's believed by some that that might be a reference to those that stood their ground and were tortured and killed for their faith. So this was, um, you know, around 150, 200 years before Jesus was on the scene. But there was, there was most of the, the Jews were being so persecuted that they were okay with leaving their Jewish heritage and basically becoming Greek. But during that time, there was a small remnant. And how many knows God always has a remnant in the earth? Throughout every generation, he always has a remnant. And there was a small remnant that, did, that were not going to go along with it. And um, they were given, there was a man named Metahias um, Maccabee. And Maccabee was more of a nickname because it means hammer. And just like you would take and you would keep hammering a nail and you would drive it into a wall, his name was given, the name was given the Maccabees because they were being used of God to keep hammering back the forces of this Syrian army. And so uh, Metahias died at some point, but his son Judah um, took the reins and they kept this revolt going. But they said, we are not going to conform to this evil world system. We're not going to be like these heathen that worship other gods. We're not going to dress like them. We're not going to act like them. We're going to be holy unto God. We're going to be set apart. And they stood their ground and God gave them a miracle. And I'm going I'm to tell you if, you, if you look at that story, it, it was only by the grace of God that they could have won that battle. It was a lot like Gideon. There was no way that Gideon could have won with 300 people to defeat an army of over 100,000. It's impossible. And so God gave them this supernatural victory. And when he did, when they drove back the forces of the enemy, then they were able to come back into the temple that had been defiled. And what Antiochus Epiphanes had done, he wanted them to forsake their temple. And so he put an idol there to Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of God to Zeus and he boiled the pig so that there was this pig broth and he took it and he poured it over all the Torah scrolls and everything he wanted to totally defile that temple so that the Jews would forsake it and quit going there to pray to their God and so once they pushed this small group of priests once they were used to drive back this army they went back to the temple and they saw all of that and it grieved them deeply but they went on a, in a process of cleansing all that out of the temple and re-consecrating as holy unto God. And so that is the first message of Hanukkah is that God is looking for a group of people, a remnant in the earth that will be holy unto him that says, I don't care if other Christians are going to act this way. I don't care if the world's going to act this way. I'm going to be holy unto God. I'm going to stand for what's right and I'm going to believe the Bible and, and live right before God and be holy. Amen. God's looking for a holy remnant that's not just going to go along. And you're seeing in our day, in many ways, a lot of parallels because there's movements to try to get the church to become more and more worldly, thinking that somehow it will appeal to the world. I mean, and through that to get people saved, that's never going to work. We're called 
to help people be conformed to the image of Christ, not to try to take um, the things of Christ and make it conform to the world. Amen? And so there is a group, though, a remnant that I want to be a part of, and I hope you want to be a part of, that is going to be holy unto God and is going to believe his word, and we're not going to conform to this world. Okay, just because society says things are okay, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. Okay, God has the final say. And so there was a group that stood up for God, and God had their back, and then they also were able to deeply cleanse the temple for God to come dwell in that temple. And let me tell you, if that victory had not happened through the Maccabees, then we, there was no way that the stage would have been there for Jesus to come in the earth. It wouldn't have happened because there wouldn't have even really been a Jewish people. They would have assimilated into the Greek culture. Their temple would have become a temple to another god. So this had to happen. And it's just like today. Here we are so near the coming of the Lord. The Lord has to have a remnant. Are you hear what I'm saying? There has to be a remnant for him to come back to, to call out of this place. To There has to be also a Jerusalem and a temple for him to come to. So don't worry about things. God's always got a remnant. The question is, are you going to be a part of that remnant or not? And when Jesus came on the scene, we know his life, that early on in his ministry, he took a scourge of cords and he drove the money changers out of the temple. Remember that story? You know, I think that people need to reevaluate some of their views of this wimpy little Jesus. Amen. All right, so he drove them out. And many scholars believe that this happened again because in the later part of his ministry, you read it again in Matthew 21. So there was twice that he did this. But it was interesting because I heard this man expounding on this. It was, it was powerful. He was saying that, that this probably happened before Passover. And see, at the Passover time, all the Jewish families would go through their homes and cleanse out any yeast out, and they'd purge it out. There couldn't be any leaven in their home. And what was happening there was most likely Jesus was being used by the Father to purge out all the leaven out of the temple, out of God's house, right at Passover time. You guys are quiet tonight. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit dwells in you? So we're the temple. And I believe the first message here at Hanukkah is this. Are we going to be a radical group of people that are really totally sold out to God, that are going to live a holy life unto Him, that are going to be His righteous remnant in the earth? And also, are we going to be a group of people that cleanse our temple and that cleanse the house of God and keep it cleansed so that he can come dwell among us. In Zechariah 3 verse 4, it says that there was this angel that saw Joshua the priest. Okay, this was not the Joshua that took Canaan years before. This was Joshua the priest. And um, he was the high priest, but he was clothed in filthy garments. He had been defiled. And the Lord told him, told the angel to remove those old, polluted, dirty garments off of him and put clean garments on him. But look at what it says here in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he was talking to Joshua, if you will walk in my ways, that is, remain faithful and perform my 
service. Then you will also govern my house and have charge of my courts. And look at this. I will give you free access to my presence among these who are standing here. See, here's the promise of God if we will really cleanse our temple and cleanse our ways, that we can have free access into his presence. You know what keeps people out in the presence of God? It's not that God doesn't love them. It's not even that they're not saved. What keeps people out of the presence of God a lot of times is just they're so defiled by the world and other things that it hinders. They're hindering themselves. And here I can show it to you in the scriptures. I love this scripture. Look at 2 Timothy 2.20. Paul said this, Now in a large house there were not only vessels and objects of gold and silver, but also vessels and objects of wood and earthenware. And some are honorable, they're noble, and they're used, and there's others that are used that are dishonorable. In other words, verse 21 says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, becomes holy and pure, okay, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart for a special purpose, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And you have to understand the Hebrew culture, this won't make sense. See, at special times like Passover, there's special... Um, dishes that they have that is brought out at that time but it's not used normal it's not like you know or somebody maybe has like some china that was really expensive that's passed down the family and you're not going to use that every day you don't let the little kids run around and use it and just throw it in the dishwasher right you break that out at special occasions And what it's saying here is that people that have really consecrated themselves unto God, they're like the vessels of honor that have a a significant use. But then there's others that they won't cleanse themselves, and they're not really living set apart like they should, and they're like the common vessels. So which one do you and I want to be? I want to be able to be used by God in a significant way. But more, more even than that, I want to be to where I can have access to His presence. You see, people get saved, that's great, and we're on our way to heaven. But there's a difference between just accepting Christ as your Savior and then really consecrating your life as holy unto Him. To consecrate yourself as holy, holy means set apart. For example, when the priest of the Old Testament time would go to the temple, they would have to wear their street clothes to the temple, and then they would strip and they would put on their priestly vestments there that they were going to minister before the Lord. But when they came out of that time, they would take off those holy garments and set them over where they go and put back on their street clothes to go home. Why? Because those holy garments were set apart. They were holy. And you didn't just wear them to to barbecue chicken in the backyard. My point is, is that Christians, we can be set apart and holy and have a deep access to God's presence And we can also be used in a more significant way if we'll really consecrate ourselves unto him. The Bible talks about the beauty of his holiness. God wants a holy habitation. It's like as we go through our homes and we cleanse it out. And here here at the church, you know, it's it's the responsibility of the pastor. But I come up here and I go through and I pray over things. A long time ago, I... It's been going on for some time, but take communion here and, you know, take the blood and and just pray over different areas and maybe apply the blood to this area. Lord, we consecrate this. We set this apart as holy unto you, that this is a place that's holy and under the blood for you to come dwell here. But if you have a place that maybe you're renting like a, a, 
a, a same facility that maybe is a bar on Friday and Saturday night, but then you want to come in on Sunday and just go in there and have church, that's fine if you, you think you can get away with that, but don't expect the presence of God to be awesome because it's, a, it's not a holy place set apart. Does this make sense to anybody? And there's a protocol to heaven. God loves people. He wants to be with them. He wants them to be in his presence. He wants to come dwell among us. But he's not going to come where it's defiled and, and, and filthy and people are flipping about it. All right. The next thing is, the, minute, the, uh, the story is the extra oil. So once they got the temple cleansed, they set up the menorah again. It was a seven-branch menorah. And they had enough oil for one day. That oil had to be made a special way. It had to be, um, you know, ritually pure and all of that. And it had to be pressed a certain way for them to use it in the temple. It wasn't just like your basic olive oil at home, okay? They had, it had to be done a specific way, which took eight days. And so they were grieved because they knew, well, this is only going to be good for one day. But we're just going to have to make the best of it. So they poured it in the lampstand. They lit it. But it kept burning day after day. And it burned all eight days that manure stayed lit until they were able to make more oil. And so it was a miracle. And I believe the other point here at Hanukkah is this. That Jesus is coming for a bride that has extra oil. In Matthew 25, it says that the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins was that some of them had extra oil. And so here at Hanukkah time, it's a time to be filled with extra oil. And that he will come, the Bible says in Matthew 3.11, he will come to baptize us in the Holy Spirit in fire. We need a baptism of fire. The baptism of fire will cleanse us but the baptism of fire will also help us to stay on fire for God and not get lukewarm. And in these last days, with the pressure of the days, we need a baptism of his fire to stay on fire for him, to stay hungry. And then the last thing I would mention is this, is that Jesus, he is the light of the world, but he's called us to be a light. And see, what we look at when we see Hanukkah, we see all these little lights shining. And what the message is, is that we're supposed to be a light in this world. But for us to truly be a light in this world, people have to look at us and see something different. You know, we want to be the ones that, that somebody may say, you know, I've known, I've known Christians, I've known this and that, I've been around church, but you know, that guy over there, I know he's the real deal. That's what you want to be, is that guy. But the only way that's going to happen is when we're consecrated, we've cleansed our lives unto God. And that we've surrendered everything to him. And we've allowed him to fill us with extra oil and baptize us with fire. And there's a shining of our lives and we go out through our days, other people at work are gossiping, and we don't participate. Other people are, are using foul language, telling filthy jokes, and we don't participate. We're different. Does that mean you're going to be persecuted? Of course it means you're going to be persecuted. Man up. You know, that's just the way it goes. All of God's remnant throughout all of history has been persecuted, usually by the religious. 
those that actually are convicted by their life. <laughs> oh, they're all radical. Yeah, they're, they're the remnant. Okay, they're on fire for God. They're the way you're supposed to be. But see, the religious, it offends them, and they persecute. And the world will persecute as well. See, what is it to be on a Friday night and a Saturday night to be in church worshiping God while others are out getting drunk, getting high, sleeping around? You know, you see what I'm saying? We're, we're a light. We're different. All right, so what I want to do here at the end, I'm going to explain this, but I want us to um, have kind of a special, we did this last year, but I want to have a special communion time where we consecrate ourselves in a deep way all right and that's that's what we're going to do but let me explain this because i feel a bit of a connection with passover and hanukkah and that passover also has to do with cleansing the um cleansing your house and there's this deep cleansing that has to take place and it's the same thing with Hanukkah. And that's what I felt God wanted me to preach on this year was about Christ cleansing the temple. Once Jesus came through at the first part of his ministry and he drove out those money changers, we read that after that, he came to the temple and he preached and performed miracles there. But see, it has to be first that we let the Lord cleanse us then the power of God will come down. Then revival comes. So at Passover, there's four cups. And this is where the four cups come from right here. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. That's the cup of sanctification because we have to understand that it is the grace of God that the Spirit of God has drawn us unto God and convicted us, convicted us of our sins and that God's grace and mercy has shined upon us that, that now we're children of God. We've been brought out of Satan's darkness, out of his kingdom, and we've been translated into the kingdom of light. And that's the first cup of Passover is understanding that. The second cup of Passover is this. He says, I will free you from their bondage. It's one thing to come out, but it's another thing to get delivered of your past. That's another thing. See, a lot of people have gotten saved or whatever, but they haven't really gotten free. They're still in bondage to their past. And then the third cup, it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment against Egypt. But see... The arm of God is described in the Bible. The arm of God is Jesus. Did you know, I don't want to stay on this long, but did you know the name of God in Hebrew is four letters, yud heh vav heh And if you look at it in the uh, pictograph, it's a, it says this in the pictures. Behold the nail in the arm. That's God's name, yud heh vav heh And so Jesus is seen in the Bible. In Isaiah, it talks about God is outstretched his arm he's his arm was laid bare his arm came down that arm of god from heaven to earth was christ it's a it's a metaphor 
And so what it's saying here, this third cup is the cup of redemption. That's why Jesus held up the third cup and said, this represents my blood that is shed for you because Jesus knew I'm the third cup. The cross is the third cup. And this represents um, everything that Jesus paid for at Calvary, but I put the emphasis here on healing. And then the last cup is the cup of praise. The fourth cup is this. This is the cup that Jesus did not finish at the Passover Seder with his disciples. He left before it was done. And I guarantee you that all the disciples looked at Jesus kind of like, what are you doing? Because, I mean, our whole lives we've done this same meal every year. We know that it's not done. But Jesus said it's time to go. And they went out to the Mount of Olives area, wherever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. And they began to sing hymns. And that was where he was betrayed by Judas. But, see, Jesus did not take this last cup with him. Why? Because he said that I will drink this cup with you in the kingdom to come. And he was prophesying that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that that would be where this fourth cup is drunk with his bride. It's the final cup. And so what I want to do tonight here at Hanukkah is this. I want us, my wife's going to start helping help me out, passing this out. But we're going to, I want you to have enough juice for three, three different sips. But we're going to really consecrate ourselves. I'm going to show you something tonight. And then we'll light the menorahs. We're going to pray for people. But how many of you guys with me can say this? Pastor Scott, I really do want to consecrate my temple. I don't want to be like the world. I'm not going to put all this, this junk in my body. You know, I'm not going to pump myself full of drugs. I'm not going to be, you know, polluting myself with all this alcohol and tobacco stuff. I'm going to keep myself sexually pure. I'm not going to be sleeping around. I'm not going to defile this temple. Okay, I'm gonna, I want to be set apart as holy. I want my temple holy, pure unto God, sanctified. So tonight we're going to take this. We need to have enough of that matzah bread as well for people to have about three bites. Ed, brother, you want me to go over there and trip you? Let's see how, how talented he is at juggling all of those grape juices. Somebody tickling. Thank you, sweetheart. And those that may be listening to this, I get emails, messages pretty frequently. There's people around this nation, around the world that listen to sermons. You know, I encourage you to get some juice and some bread and do this with us. Okay, I'm going to believe God to, to consecrate you deeply where you're at too. We, we love and appreciate everybody that um, is connected to this ministry and, and listens to sermons with us. And we just bless you guys. We appreciate you so much. Give Pastor Stephen a pretty good size piece. He needs a little extra. 
Brianna needs a monster-sized matzah, like a massive. <laughs> yeah, she got her own sheet. <laughs> I don't. knows how to need extra big, right? I mean, I'll take as much as I can get. All right, so we're going to do this. I want us just to get really serious before the Lord, though, and we're going to really pray for God to deeply consecrate us. So just so you understand what's going on, first we'll pray for the inner spirit man um, in our lives spiritually to be consecrated. Then secondly, it's like the soul area, so like mental and emotional health and well-being, a deep consecration of that realm. And then finally is the physical body to be consecrated. So there's going to be three different times um, that you'll partake of this. But Lord, we thank you for the power of your body and blood. And Lord, here at Hanukkah, I believe that, that this, in some ways, there's some parallels with um, Passover. And so Lord, as I partake of this tonight with everybody here, we remember that the Passover meal, that Jesus held up that unleavened bread. It was right after the, the meal time, so we know that it was probably the afikoman bread that's brought out. It's buried, hidden, and then brought out. He took that bread, and he held it up and blessed it in Hebrew. In Hebrew blessings, Baruch Atadonai, Lohenu Melikolam, Hamatzi, Lachem and Hotretz. He blessed it, he broke it, passed around, said, partake of this, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he held that third cup, the cup of redemption. And he blessed it also, and it would have been the Hebrew blessing. And he said, this is now the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you. And so, Lord, as we remember what you did for us at the cross, we realize, Lord, that in every way you fulfilled all of these Passover cups. Lord, that you are our sanctification. You are our deliverance. You are our redemption and our healing. And Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. But we also know, Lord, that when the blood is applied, that there's a deep consecration unto God. And so as we take this, we're going to, by faith, we're going to partake of this. We're going to bury down into our lives the power of, of the body and blood of Jesus and what you did for us at the cross. And by faith, we're going to bury this down into our lives spiritually, then the soul area, then our physical body. So I pray now in the, the spirit area, we bury this down into our lives that our inner man will be holy and consecrated unto you. We want our spirit man to be undefiled. Lord, we want our lives spiritually to shine. We want to be a powerful witness for you. We want our prayer lives to be powerful. We want our time 
um, in your presence as we study the Word of God. We want that to be rich and powerful. We don't want any hindrance. Just like Joshua the priest, we want any old defiled garments taken off, and we want to be cleansed so that we can come freely into your presence. So, Lord, first we bury this down into our inner man and our life spiritually, that in this um, next season that we're entering into, that spiritually speaking, we are deeply consecrated unto God. And I feel, as I do this, people's nights rest. There's something about a a quieted spirit, and there's going to be something powerful affecting your night's rest right here. But, Lord, we bury this down into our lives spiritually. Let our lives, our witnessing, our prayer lives go to a new place of power and effectiveness. Y'all ready tonight? All right, let's, let's partake of this, and by faith we just apply this and bury this down into our lives spiritually in Jesus' name. people are listening to this around the world and doing this with us well they've maybe you know put this on pause and got some bread and juice Lord I pray where they're at just a deep consecration here in Hanukkah we thank you for it and Lord into our soul our soul realm mental and emotional health Lord I pray that emotions would be quieted. Lord, that there would be a deep consecration, like an inner healing of the heart. Um, Minds, there'll be a rest and a purity in our thought processes. But Lord, we want renewed minds. We want the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth to please you. And all of that is in this soul area, making godly decisions. And Lord, I pray as we do this, we bury this down into our soul area that there will be such a deep consecration unto you, Lord, in the way that we think, our personality, maybe even things that that used to affect us in a negative way are not going to now from this moment on. We bring the power of your body and blood and what you did for us at Calvary into these areas that any strongholds come down right now in the minds, in the emotions, in people's memories, There's even maybe some areas of fear. And Lord, we consecrate our souls as holy unto you that you cleanse right now these areas where there was once fear, where there was torment. I feel that's for some people. Lord, I pray right now for a miracle. As we do this corporately, there's a corporate anointing and a corporate faith right now. That there's some people that's had some fractured areas in the soul right now we bury by faith the body and blood of the lord into those areas lord that they'll be consecrated and healed and made whole and it's a, it's going to be some miracles right now there's going to be a breakthrough we thank you for it i break off souls area that area anything that's not of christ i break it off and command it to go in jesus name strongholds to come down and we thank you lord we consecrate that soul area 
is holy unto you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just go ahead right now. like there's going to be some freedom for some people here tonight in the soul area and God's going to do do a work all right and father now we pray for physical bodies health literally from the very top of the head down to the soles of the feet every part of the body every um, every muscle bone every joint organs the blood flowing in health autoimmune systems but every part of the body, though we pray for a deep consecration and healing in Jesus' name, including sexual purity. As we bury this down into our physical bodies, we also bury this down into our lives to be sexually holy and pure, but our bodies to be totally cleansed right now. We consecrate ourselves. And any pollution and defilement of the past goes... And Lord, if there's been any pain or damage, that the power of your healing flow through there. And we speak that as we bury this down into our lives, that any type of sickness or disease of any kind will literally begin to dissimilate. It'll begin to break down and be destroyed and just purge out of people's bodies. In Jesus' name. We speak over strongholds of sickness to be cursed. We break it and we commit to go. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for breakthroughs right now. So, Lord, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you right now, we bury this down in our physical bodies and our health and sexual purity right now. We consecrate our bodies in Jesus' name. Just go ahead. Thank you, Lord. By faith, we receive it right now. Lord, I disagree with people. We receive the power of your body and blood literally flowing through every area of our lives and just a flushing out of any pollution. For, Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from any unrighteousness. So anything that's been unclean, we receive that cleansed out of us now. Anything to do with sickness, we receive the power of that thing broken and it's like it's dying, it's breaking up into uh, little pieces and just flushing out of people's system right now. I just kind of see that as I'm praying, that, that things that have solidified or something or been there, it's like it's breaking, breaking down, dying, flushing out of people's systems right now. And Lord, for deliverance, wherever there's been something that's been there that's not of God, we destroy and commit to leave, that the power of that is broken by the blood of Jesus and just flushed out of people's lives. Lord, that there's a freedom and a consecration unto you. We thank you for it now, in Jesus' name. Wow. 
Let me guys feel that, man. I just feel the presence of God so strong. All right. And now I want to light up some of these menorahs. So I'm going to get my pretty wife to help me, my pretty assistant. <laughs> and y'all just stay where you are. We're, we're going to do something here in just a moment. All right. Can you just go through and light the, the servant candle, the shamash candle of each one? Can you help with that one that it's somehow in the forefront where she can get to it?